Eucharist, the Catechism of the Catholic Church tells us, quote, is the source and summit of the Christian life. The other sacraments, and indeed all ecclesiastical ministries and works of the apostolate, are bound up with the Eucharist and are oriented toward it. For in the blessed Eucharist is contained the whole spiritual good of the Church, namely, Christ himself, our Pasch. Close quote. This is Dr. Jim Tonkowicz, and you're listening to the After Dinner Scholar, Wyoming Catholic's weekly podcast about the great books and the liberal arts. That distinction about the great books and the liberal arts sets the After Dinner Scholar podcast apart from other audio blogs at the college. Case in point, the college has launched a new podcast entitled The Eucharist with Wyoming Catholic College, inspired by conversations about the National Eucharistic Revival. That podcast features Wyoming Catholic College President Kyle Washett and theology professor and academic dean Dr. Jeremy Holmes. I asked Dr. Holmes about the National Eucharistic Revival and how that inspired this new podcast. The United States bishops, led by uh, Bishop Barron, if I recall, and in reaction to polls that seem to show a, a drastically declining rate of belief in the real presence of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist, uh, declared a, a year of Eucharistic revival in the United States. Uh, they, rolled out, they, they rolled out some initiatives, but uh, many different organizations have uh, jumped on to this year. To, to, uh, there is, a, for example, a, a national Eucharistic pilgrimage of people marching across the United States on foot with the Eucharist in the lead. Uh, there's many different initiatives, and um, uh, and and we thought here at Wyoming Catholic College that we had something to offer uh, to the to the bishops' desire for this year. They, the bishops were not asking that everyone stand back and let the bishops do all the heavy lifting. They were asking everybody help us now revive belief in and devotion to the Eucharist. And we said, uh, here we are. Great. How well? How are you addressing the? confusion about the Eucharist. Our, our take on the confusion about the Eucharist uh, kind of has a couple of starting points. One was just, uh, it was in the news last year that uh, the Jesuit priest, Father Reese, had said, you know, the idea of transubstantiation is just no longer helpful to people. We should drop that, that notion that, you know, taught by the Council of Trent. And, um, because people today don't connect with it. It's not helpful. And as theologians who have been teaching undergraduates for many years now, um, we thought to ourselves, uh, it has been very helpful <laughs> with real people in the room in front of us. And maybe we need to start telling people how it is we teach those ideas and teach from those ideas. Um, and uh, so, you know, so part of how, how how we see ourselves as, as being able to help out is just drawing on experience with these ideas that have been tested and found to work. Um, uh, the other angle that we have taken is that um, the, there is a perspective that one gets 
from the wilderness from and and i don't mean only our outdoor program in which people celebrate mass in the outdoors that is it's a, that is an experience that uh, is unique and we'll be we'll be talking about in the podcast but um also simply our remote location gives us a certain mindset of being out in the wilderness far from everything and that is a uh, the wilderness is the place from which renewal has has always come, right? When you think about, um, you know, God takes his people out into the wilderness of Sinai before they start their mission as a people. Um, uh, Elijah goes out into the wilderness uh, to meet the Lord when he when when the people of Israel in northern Israel need a revival, uh, you know, in the under, withering under Baal worship. Uh, Jesus Christ goes out into the wilderness before he begins his ministry. Wilderness is a place that Scripture associates with renewal and revival. And so when there's a time for renewal, we see ourselves as out there where renewal would come from. And we're ready to speak to the Eucharist from that place. Now, you brought up transubstantiation. How, how do you see that as useful? Transubstantiation, let me, I'm going to count the syllables, transubstantiation, that is six syllables, that is a big word. That's, you know, as, as we say, that's one of the, that's an SAT word, that's, it sounds technical and like, you know what, really the people who need to know about six syllable words are, uh, are tucked away in universities, probably in the basement of the library, but the fact is, Children ask questions at mass that deserve an answer. You know, common sense questions. Like, um, I remember one time we were, we're in line going up for the Eucharist to, re to receive Jesus Christ. And uh, as sometimes happens, the congregation was larger than had been anticipated. And so the priest as he glances down the line and breaks the host in half and then gives half to the, and you can just see my child sort of jump, like, whoa. <laughs> and, and she's thinking to herself, did I just get half of Jesus? You know, uh, did, I, did I just get ripped off by the priest? Did I get chintzed, right? That, that, that seems like a valid question. And to answer it, it's helpful to know how to think about what we mean by Christ being in the Eucharist, which requires thinking about transubstantiation. Um, or, you know, when, I remember one time my daughter uh, asked, this is during Mass, you know, this is all, they always ask their really hard questions when you have to whisper and, you know, be short. So they, she tugs on my sleeve. She's, she's looking up at the altar where the, you know, the priest has elevated the host. And she asks me, does Jesus become really tiny in the Eucharist? Right, because she's thinking of her picture Bible where Jesus looks like a full-grown man, and then she's looking up there, and that's about a you know inch and a half disc up there. Um, did, okay, makes we and we're telling her Jesus is in the Eucharist, and she's thinking that's a pretty small disc, and she wants to know if he has to become real really tiny and skinny <laughs> and thin to fit in there, and you know. That question deserves an answer because we don't think of ourselves eating the body of Christ, to use Augustine's phrase, 
as though we were going to the meat market, right? We don't think of ourselves as, as grind, you know, Jesus in there getting ground up so that he no longer has his own bodily integrity, right? And if, and, and, and if you have someone who's in the mindset like, well, Jesus must, become really, must, must be really tiny to fit inside the disc, that person is also in the mindset of thinking of our teeth as crunching through his members and dividing him into pieces, which is not what we're saying. Uh, this is what the um, this is this kind of thinking is what would start the you know the early pagan rumors about Christians being cannibals, right? This kind of thinking is what Augustine says is is going on in John six, where the, the, where many people turn away. They say that we can't we can't take your words about the necessity of eating your body. And he says, you know, and Christ says, the the flesh is of no avail. It's the spirit, right? And and Augustine says, yeah, the flesh is of no avail. You, if you think about this as though you were going to the meat market, you've missed it. So my daughter's question deserved an answer, but to answer it, you're going to have to know what the church thinks about the big word transubstantiation. So the these are. You don't have to be a rarefied academic to tr sort of stumble into the territory that the Council of Trent was trying to address. Uh, you just need to be a, you can be a six-year-old girl uh, watching the altar and, uh, and ask questions. Um, so, you know, is this relevant? Uh, Pache, certain Jesuit priests that are out there? Yes, very much so. Well, if it's not defined or it's ill-defined, people start arbitrarily answering the question for themselves. That's right. And, and the reality is that our imaginations are more than happy to step in and do the job that God gave us an intellect for. Uh, and if nobody tells us otherwise, of course that's what's going to happen. How can you blame people uh, if you don't tell them? Exactly as you're saying, if you don't define it, of course they're going to define it for themselves badly. Um, and while I and the theologians here will maintain, no, this is accessible. This can be taught to normal people. We don't mean to say that it's, that it's e simply easy or that it's, it's what everyone would come up with on their own. No, this is, this is a very weird miracle God has worked. It's not what you would think of on your own. Right. We, we do need guidance here, and, and, and that's why the Council of Trent had to step in. Now, in the Eastern Church, and certainly in the Orthodox Church, I'm not sure about the Byzantine, it's simply left undefined. Isn't that right? It's the real presence, and we just sort of leave it there? Yeah, the Eastern Church, uh, they will simply continue to use the phrasing that, that was adequate for the fathers of the Church. And so if you look at... Um, you know, Cyril of Jerusalem or, you know, um, uh, one of the other Greek fathers, what you're going to find is of some phrasing like they'll, they'll refer to the truth of the body. Um, or, you know, St. Augustine also will, will, will talk about, I mean, he, he's got a sort of division of sacraments into, you know, sacrament only, you know, or thing and sacrament, or thing only. He's got this whole division, and he's got his own terminology that he'll use. And of course, that's the terminology that the West inherits, which is on the way towards our kind of needed precision. But Augustine is not actually the occasion 
for the Western precision. The occasion was the Protestant Revolution, um, which the East never experienced. Uh, so for example, um, the West, up until the Protestant Revolution, never had a crisis about images. We, we Of course, we always used religious images um, continually. The East had the iconoclast controversy. And uh, as a result of that horrific century in which people are dying in, in witness to the value of the use of religious images, um, they came out of there with a very clearly defined theology of images, which the West never had because we didn't have a crisis, right? And, and icons became a huge deal in the East, right? The, uh, you go into an Eastern church and icons are everywhere. And that's because they had a crisis. In the West, we, our crisis was around the Eucharist. Long before the Protestant Revolution, we had Berengar and company. And, um, and so a lot of this technical language that the, the Council of Trent is going to use was, was worked up over centuries in, you know, previous to the Council of Trent. Uh, and it was because we had a crisis. And so we developed precision to deal with the crisis. The East never had the crisis, never has had the crisis. And so it has never felt that, that need of that precision. Um, but the Western language is expressing the same faith that the East shares. What are your hopes for the podcast? My hope for this podcast is that there will be parents who listen and, uh, and pick up some ideas about how to talk to their children, that there will be teachers who listen and uh, pick up ideas about how to talk to their students, that there will be priests who listen and think, oh, I could actually address this in homilies to, to a normal congregation. Uh, I hope there will be um, religious who listen and think to themselves, I could use this in my Sunday school class. I hope there will be normal Catholics who listen and think to themselves, I was too embarrassed to admit that I had six-year-old level questions about the Eucharist, but now I see that my questions were worth answering. And how can our listeners access the podcast? This podcast can be found where podcasts are generally found. Of course, you can find it on the Wyoming Catholic College website, but it is also on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music. Go to where the podcasts are. The National Eucharistic Revival's mission is, quote, to inspire a movement of Catholics across the United States who are healed, converted, formed, and unified by an encounter with Jesus in the Eucharist, and who are then sent out on mission for the life of the world, close quote. That is, as we are renewed in our understanding, appreciation, and love for Christ, as we receive him in the Eucharist, we then join him in his mission to seek and to save the lost. So in addition to listening to the After Dinner Scholar, let me encourage you to listen to our Eucharistic Revival podcast and to share both with your friends. For Wyoming Catholic College, this is Dr. Jim Tonkowicz.